0: And Welcome to Out of the Blue. It is Sunday the 9th of, what month are we in? Jeez, the year's gone really fast. September? September. September. Got there. Um, You are listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR 855 AM. You could also be listening online, digital radio, podcasting. Just listen. We would really appreciate an audience. We love you all out there. Um, Today we're going to be talking more about waste and we're going to have some pretty interesting opinions being shared today because we love some controversial opinions. Coming up next.
1: Uh, Hi my name's Sarah, I love coming here because they offer vegan food
2: Hi my name's Paul, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious (laughs) Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street Collingwood A tuneful experience
0: A 3CR supporter well, out of the blue today we are going to be talking more about waste. We have been following this topic quite a bit this year. And we have a very special guest with us today who Erin and I have known for well I don't know. Quite a several long time. Years now. Hmm. Welcome to the show, Doug.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You're more than welcome. Thanks for joining us on an early Sunday morning.
1: Yeah, well, I've got kids, so this is like... This This is a break. This is a break, yeah. Ah, You
0: should have brought them in. We'd love to have kids in the studio. Oh, Maybe next time. Next time. Okay, cool. different show. (laughs) Well, we brought you in today because you have worked for many, many years in the waste and sustainability education field. Yep. Which is obviously a field that's valued a lot more these days than it was in the past. And a lot of people are trying to jump on board and do their bit for the environment because we're pretty much all doomed. Is that how it feels to you sometimes?
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I first I want to say that I have no affiliation with any waste, um, companies or anything like that. Okay. And so you know, you you preface this by saying there's controversy, and, and then right away someone's going to say, well, who's his? Who where, does where, he where, work for? Who does he work for? <laughs> um, no. So you know, what we're going to talk about today is is the view that I've gotten by you know the information that I've I've obtained through many years of trying to communicate uh, uh, waste issues to a large portion of the Melbourne population coming through thousands and thousands of people over the years have listened to this beautiful accent <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I'm sure quite a diverse community out there too that you've engaged with
1: yeah listen we um i've uh, done education groups from you know preps all the way up to uh proboscopes and in fact i actually really enjoy the proboscopes because i always get the uh the old retired gentlemen in who want to tell me about how they used to work on hydraulic pumps or electrical engineering and stuff like that it's (laughs) great
0: (laughs) love it love those stories
2: fantastic now, one of the topics that we were going to talk about today is the – it's been in the news recently – the cash for cans mm-hmm. uh, proposition that, unfortunately, in my view, didn't pass the uh, the lower house in the parliament. Now, I've been an advocate and an absolute supporter for the cash for cans uh, campaign. If you're not aware of what that is, uh, for example, in South Australia, you can bring in your cans, you can do your recycling. It's also been in the news recently in, uh, in the media, sorry, on the war on waste, just really – uh, being an activist for that. I think that'd be a fantastic idea in Australia. Bringing- hold on, there's
0: also a Seinfeld episode.
2: Oh, of course. Remember yes, when Kramer yes.
0: tries to take them interstate and he's got like the truck full of all these containers? That's right. L- many places around the world. Don't
2: that's it. right. That's right. So I think that'd be a fantastic initiative within Victoria. We all recycle our cans, our bottles. We take it in. We get a little bit of money. But I think it'd be a great way, a great step forward to reducing the amount of, particularly plastic bottles that we just see in our local waterways.
1: Uh, do you Do you have the same opinion? Not in the least. Not um, in the least. Now, uh, what I have to... have to say, though, is, is that I grew up in a state in the United States where it was one of the pioneering um, uh, governments that did uh, deposit legislation for cans. Um, and first and foremost, in order to frame this conversation, you've got to understand what that uh, legislation is for. And uh, you've got to avoid compound arguments with this. And when I say compound arguments, what you're going to do is as soon as someone throws up some sort of opposition to this, then they're going to go, well, what about this possible benefit? And what about this possible benefit? But the main idea for a deposit legislation scheme is litter control. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, In the grand scheme of things, Victoria does not have a problem with litter. It is a problem, but for... Problems that have to be legislated for, environmental problems, this is my point of view, down on the list.
2: Really? Okay. Okay. So there'd be a lot of people who may take a stroll along the Yarra, see Mm -hmm. a lot of waste issue there. I
0: did that yesterday, actually. Yarra Bend? And and did you see a lot of.
2: Oh, Yarra Bend's pretty clean. But if we go closer into the city, we can see a lot of sconge and plastics that are building up, getting caught into those reeds. Yes. Uh, You don't believe a. Deposit uh, program like that would reduce that litter?
1: I'm not saying it wouldn't, but I'm saying as far as a cost benefit analysis for actual making improvements, what this scheme is, is just a political thing. Okay. The the actual benefits, in my point of view, from what I've read in cost-benefit analysis is just aren't there. If you want to reduce uh, uh, litter, if you want to increase recycling rates, as far as what studies are out there have shown, is that if you increase education and put that money towards education, you'll get like returns. And I think that then where those cost-benefit analysis uh, fall short is that that education is a cultural shift, sure. And so, with a cash for cans scheme, you are trying to adjust the cultural shift through legislation, which I think has limited application.
2: I understand your viewpoint, but don't you think don't you think that if we paired education on these issues with a container deposit scheme, that then advertised itself around sustainability? Don't you think that that could be utilized as an, a sustainability education
1: uh, focal point? Who pays for it?
2: I'm happy to pay for a deposit
1: scheme, but... How much are you willing to pay per year for a deposit legislation scheme? Because also a common misconception is, is that for the user, it doesn't cost them anything. Sure. But it does. Of course, the state state taxes. Well... It's got to come from somewhere. It's got to... And, and you got to run this system. So um, that's one of my uh, other arguments about that is, is how the system is run, but... How much, you got to ask yourself, how much are you willing to pay for this and for what benefit?
2: And you, you don't think there's, there's bang for buck here. You think there are other ways that we could produce the litter that is more feasible and for better return?
1: It, completely, and it yeah. will change the culture more. Yeah, sure. Now, you know, one of the common arguments is that, well, look at South Australia. When they've implemented the, the deposit scheme, that their recycling rates increased. Sure. Marginally. Okay. Uh, Victorians' recycling rates are pretty good at the moment. Yeah. And yes, they can get better. And the more there is a direct correlation, the more that you educate, the better that they're going to be. So you're looking at um, mid 60% uh, of household recy- uh, domestic household uh, waste being diverted from landfill. Uh, currently? Currently.
2: Currently. And you don't believe that that will increase significantly for, um, with this? No, okay.
1: not at all. Not at all. So, um, you, you know, you might get a couple of percentage points as higher. Sure. And and that was the case in, in South Australia. But again, for, for what cost? Who's going to pay for it? The user pays for it for a little bit, but the, the main uh, body that is going to pay for it are the beverage producers, the people who are putting these uh, products into containers. And then you get into this concept that it is a xenophobic, Anti-capitalist and uh, anti-multinational company min- mindset, uh, where you have your uh, large beverage companies, particularly one that has a red label, hmm. people will, will want to go. Whoever that could be, yeah, whoever that could be. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, the, the, I think there's
0: ri- white writing on it. Isn't yeah, yeah, c- yeah, quite
1: yeah, uh, yeah. sort of a and, script font anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what you're having is is you you have people who have an animosity towards those companies. Yes, and they go, well, they should be paying for it. Well, but at the end of the day, I am talking about a cultural shift, whose responsibility is it in order to put the material in the appropriate place? It's definitely ours. Hmm. And so by legislating a change and then making the beverage companies pay for it, then you're not actually going to reinforce this positive overall cultural benefit.
0: Because then people are going, well, it's not my responsibility, it's this.
1: And and, and this is the problem with, with legislating, trying to legislate change is you're not going to actually change the culture. And this is my main point. In order for us to make a true difference in sustainability for litter, for all that, we have to change the culture.
2: Yep. I should pre- um, preface this for everyone listening. Uh, Doug is a sustainability advocate. He just has a, a different way uh, or different opinions on how to actually achieve this. So if you're listening and thinking this is an anti- um, anti-environmental, anti And we're about standpoint. to go
0: out and, like, choke a turtle with a straw or something.
2: <laughs> yeah. Not, not, well, We're not
0: going that far. That crossed the
2: line.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, because w- w- what I've been finding is, is that there's this new research coming out. And it's called a car. Co- um, oh, gosh, now that I'm on the spot here, I'm going to get it right. I know, so much pressure. The, <laughs> the acronym is um, uh, BIG, which is, um, oh, gosh. We'll come to it when I get it. We'll come head. back to it. Yeah, you start it's talking. Uh, um, <laughs> it's not like this is library. No, 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 now I've got radio. it. Uh, behavior Impact Gap sure so um, I think the the cash for cans feeds into this behavior impact gap so the current research is showing or newer research is showing that you have your brown consumers and your green consumers and your green consumer thinks that they are benefiting the environment or they're being more sustainable Mm -hmm. okay and they have this idea of how much their efforts are contributing or rather not contributing okay in actual fact, this what this study is showing is that there's very little difference between your brown consumer and your green consumer overall. Mm. In
0: terms of the impact or in terms of the, their view of what they're doing?
1: As, as, as the actual impact okay. on the environment and whether they're improving it or not. But surely, though, if
2: we are adopting let's green consumers, they, they the individual impacts are not greatly significant. But surely if they're... Adopting a sort of her mentality in uh, sustainability practices, that is a benefit that is more positive and beneficial moving forward than
1: nothing. No, because what they're doing is, is they're finding um, special interests to be advocating for and adjusting their lives for. Ah, so they're being selective. They're being selective. And then what the research is showing is that then they compensate it in other ways. Ah. One of these examples that they use is, oh, I've just bought a hybrid car. Okay. Okay. And I don't use a whole lot of petrol to to go from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to actually start driving it more. Right. Ah. (laughs) It's
0: like it's like I'm on the five two diet. So for two days I eat very little, and I tell you what, I compensate on the other days. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah.
1: Or you know what, I'm going to make sure that I'm um, buying local, and that's a completely different topic, and that I'm opposed to too. Uh, But (laughs) wow, okay, (laughs) no, sorry, sorry, not buying local, but the you know like you know like save the environment, shop local. That it doesn't make sense. It's just uh, marketing in order for you to to. Buy more. We'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah. But anyhow, (laughs) it's like, oh, I'm buying local. I'm doing great for the environment and stuff like that. I'm going to buy organic and all that. And oh, wait, that that product right there comes in a plastic container, but plastic's bad, so I'm now going to buy it in a glass container because that's not plastic, because they've demonized plastic, and then they're going to buy it in glass, and then all of a sudden oh wait, I want to make sure that it's good for the earth, so I'm going to buy it from Fiji because it's single origin honey that has no pesticides and stuff like that. Oh, and
0: honey's in the media Yeah, honey's
1: in the media, but that's another completely different (laughs) part. So what they're doing is they're compensating, they're saying oh, in order to make a difference, I've got to avoid this, right, yep. But then the substitutes that they're replacing it with are not that much better. Mm-hmm. So there's a lesson to learned Is it, is it that
2: everyone listening, if you are thinking, "Oh, that's me," I am so substituting. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Don't make these substitutes.
1: No, no, and 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 we humans are so good at it. Like that five two diet. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like how many times do you see someone? Oh, I've just gone to the gym. I'm going to treat myself.
0: Oh, don't! Have you been stalking me? <laughs> no,
1: no. <laughs> and and you I know don't I don't get a
0: chocolate I, milk every time I go to the gym. I swear. And, and the <laughs> thing is, is how many
1: how many hours does it take for you to to burn off three four hundred calories? I don't want to think about it, not thinking about it. And then how how quickly does it take you to put it in? So if you translate this mentality to the way that we consume on a broad scale, what you know, and and then I'm going to help you out. We're going to go back to this container deposit scheme. Is is by having a small kind of legislative change like that, it isn't going to actually affect change. Sure. So what we have to do is we have to affect change in, in other ways okay. that will then have hopefully follow-on benefits like reduced litter. Um, and container the container scheme is a anti-litter scheme. If you start tacking on things like it, it might increase... Recycling rights it might be a good revenue for sports facilities and stuff like that and all that. It's just it's it, There's other ways of doing it and that's not from my point of view worth the expense interesting um, So I we've kind of diverted a little bit from this In order to make a, a true and impacting change We have to change the culture and one of the ways that we have to change the culture is consumption of course Packaged foods are related to con- consumption mm-hmm. yep, and you
2: know so, so to start with just a reduction of the intake versus then having a follow-on recycling
1: uh, recycling because- litter problem, waste problem, all that yeah if everyone on earth consumed the way that Australians consume, we would need five and a half half earths every single year so, so that's Australia so in disturbing. general uh, Australia quite the- a bad. Depending on the year, Australia is number one or number two, possibly number three, waste producer per capita in the world. Interesting, interesting, wow! <laughs> and this all has to do with affluence. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. and, and you know, Australia is an affluent country. We are. So the way that I try to 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 direct someone from advocating for a container redemption scheme and then going to well, what can I actually do right away? Consume less. Mm. Brilliant. Well, on that topic, uh, we're going to
2: shift to, you you may have seen on the news recently, uh, there was a lot of worry in the news about the China ban, or so it was the so-called China ban about not taking all the recycling material. Now, personally, I know a lot of people, individuals who don't even bother recycling. The reason is they believe that they can just chuck it all in the same bin because it doesn't get recycled. Uh, And then now, particularly in in the face of all this... That, that is i think a growing trend that people are like well we're not actually recycling this china has stopped bringing this in uh we're throwing it on the same bin is this something we should be concerned
1: about um we should be concerned about the fact that that yes people aren't using their domestic household recycling bin
2: and so it does get recycled, in your experience. It
1: it does get recycled. That's fantastic. <laughs> there are there are certain portions of what are going into bins that can't be reprocessed at this point in time. Sure. Not because the technology isn't there. It's because of contamination. Sure. It's because there's no uh, a market for it.
2: And I think that links into what the Chinese ban was. It wasn't really a ban, was it? It was more actually just setting levels of contamination that were quite unreasonable from the reading that I've done, but for free to enlighten us in a different way.
1: No, so what they're doing is is they are finding that, um, and this isn't new. What China has done isn't new. This has been a progression in their legislation over the number of years now at increasing the uh, the domestic market as well as making sure that what is coming into china and what they're importing is actually high quality material that they can recycle and reuse that they can that they can reprocess into usable product and so they are setting higher contamination levels or rather lower contamination mm-hmm. levels for the products that are coming in number one product that they they are really targeting is fiber so paper yep. um and uh, i'm trying to look at my numbers right here and still there they are at a, um, was, I, I looked at so
2: 0.5 uh, of a contamination of the actual paper so they want clean paper they can reutilize right and that's not what we're recycling that's not what we're offering
1: well it's not that that we can't offer it it's that we don't well, there's a number of different uh, things that are occurring that make it difficult to reach that goal. Sure. Number one is the user again. Of course. Um, the user isn't using the system properly. And they are contaminating their recycling bins with soft plastics. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Um, and that's probably the number one uh, per piece contamination item in fiber is soft plastics. Okay, okay. Um And then you have food debris as well as uh, a little bit of glass mixed in as well. So in order for the material recovery facilities, and that's what you use and companies use in order to sort and separate out your uh, recyclables. In order for them to achieve this level of contamination that is acceptable by China, they have to slow down their conveyor belts. Mm. And sift. And they have to put more people, manual sorters, on the line. And these are humans that are actually taking this material off of the conveyor belts and in order for them to get these uh, contamination levels suitable so that they continue to fulfill their contracts by, um, for fiber in China.
2: So taking it back a step, so really it, bringing back to the user, we have just the one wheelie bin. We throw everything in there. And then we're not offering a... A viable solution for uh, the sorters to actually have a really easy way to uh, sift the soft plastics from the glass from the paper. It's all in the one bin, and they have to actually manually bring that out.
1: No, there are there are a number of different mechanical processes within a material recovery facility. Yeah, we'll call it. <laughs> we'll it's in there. the in the in the business. It's called a MRF. Okay, not a smurf, but a MRF. Okay. You didn't laugh at that line. Normally, the are uh-huh. uh, Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so there are a number of different mechanical processes in order to separate out the different materials at a MRF. And uh, the best machine at the moment to really get that, that level of contamination appropriate is still the human. Okay. Mm. Right. But, yep. Now, your companies that run MRFs are on razor-fine margins in order for them to continue to make money in this and be, this business. Yeah, okay. Productive. And, yep. What was that?
0: And to be productive. They need it, to be able exactly. to make some money off it. Otherwise, there's no point. And the
1: user, the person at home that uses the system, they think that the system is in place for the, what I say, the little e-word. Where in fact, it's for the big e-word. Little e-word, the only, the only person that really is doing this for the environment is the person who goes, well, I'm going to be putting it in my recycling bin because I'm doing something great for the environment. Sure. Yeah. But steps beyond that, It's for the economy. Mm. This will not work. The system will not work unless someone can make money out of it. Then you have programs like, say, you know, War on Ways, which will demonize these companies for trying to make money out of it. Now, the margins on making money out of this system are so small that all of a sudden what's happened is with this this, uh, prohibition on high levels of contamination in China these companies are their margins have gotten smaller and smaller because Mm -hmm. they're processing less material during the day because they've had to slow down their machines and they're having to put more hands on the line for manual sorters again though it falls back on the user of the system because they are not using it properly so you go back to that person who says well it all gets thrown away into the bin yeah so at a material recovery facility, at the moment, you're getting about an 8% contamination, 8 to 10% contamination coming in from the public. You might say that's okay. But if you think about that per ton or per hundreds of tons. It's mm, a massive lot, weight. Yeah. Now, m- my main experience is with a medium-sized material recovery facility, and they do around 300 tons of material a day. Wow.
0: And I loved it when I came to visit you there because yeah. I was just astounded by all the machines and conveyor belts and then how many people were also there helping yeah. sort.
1: And that's only five councils here in Melbourne, that, yeah. or six now, that, that supply that material. And, and it's, it's just gobsmacking, the amount of waste that is coming through. Even though it's being put into a recycling bin, it's still considered waste.
2: Of course. Mm. And so... So are we heading a bit, a bit for a catastrophe, though? If the margins are getting smaller and smaller, with a lot of these... Uh, Recycling plants uh, the, the, with the, with the MRFs are they going to start dropping off because there's no um, no benefit no monetary gain there?
1: No, what's going to start happening, and you're going to see this more and more, is that instead of councils being able to possibly be paid for that material, which was the case when commodity prices were high, mm-hmm. councils are going to have to start paying these reprocessors, or sorry, the MRF operators for this service. Right. Ultimately, it's still going to be cheaper than sending it to landfill because the state government has made landfill artificially high in cost. Landfill's
2: cheap. Yes. Mm-hmm. A pl- dig a hole, throw it in. It's not great, but it you is You don't cheap.
1: even need to dig a hole. In Australia, there's plenty of holes to put them in. <laughs> okay. Um, not that you're advocating for this. <laughs> uh, landfills are extremely well managed in Victoria. Waste gases are used for energy conversion. The leachates are managed and, and properly, uh, you know, the landfills in the EPA have done a, a, a great job at making sure that landfills are managed properly. Sure. What you have a problem with is not in my backyard. Oh, Yes. Mm-hmm. Of course. And which means that they go further and further out to be built from the, the centers of waste production and then your trucking costs increase. Of course. So those are that's the problem with landfill. Um, and so the catastrophe is that the user is going to start to pay and the user doesn't want to pay because the user has been spoiled for so many years. Mm. So what the, uh, the government has done is they made landfill um, artificially... Expensive by putting a levy on it. Uh, Was it sixty dollars, sixty to eighty dollars a ton? Interesting. Okay. That money goes into uh, a coffer mm-hmm. in the state budget, and it should be used to promote sustainability and reducing your waste. So bring it back around.
0: Circular economy.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, and also education, and and so the thing is, is that. It, My main point is it's the user's responsibility. So if you're listening in, take note.
0: (laughs) Well, Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. As I said, it was going to be a little more controversial, but all of your points are solid. There's nothing there that I would go, you know what? I don't believe in that. They're all valid. It's all completely valid. <laughs> Good
1: for you. You but, validate me. I feel so much better for that.
0: But everyone, please jump on our Facebook page, Out of the Blue, and you know, join in the conversation because I think it's really important to gather all these different opinions together so that we can move forward with the right decision on how to, uh, how to affect change in this massive country that we live in. Mm. Well, enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and coming up next is Sally with Out of the Pan. We'll see you later.
1: Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for having me.